Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Erica McManus. She is an entrepreneur who has deep experience working to support the military community by working in the private sector as well as for the Department of Defense. In her current role as Chief People and Community Officer at Instant Teams, she connects companies with military spouses that have the talent they need. So hi, Erica, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, I'm just excited to be here and for the conversation ahead. Absolutely, and as I shared in my very brief intro, you have sort of a different experience than a lot of the folks that we have on the show, but I happen to know in advance that what you have to share is actually directly relevant to the work that we do. But do you mind just sharing a little bit more about your professional journey to give some people kind of background and context on what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I think everybody's career experiences are unique and different. Um, And a big component of mine is that I've also been a military spouse for the past 21 years. And so that has brought 14 moves in those 21 years. Yes. Um, (laughs) A pro, you need help packing, just let me know. I I can support. Um, But that, that poses a lot of struggle when you've got these dreams of your personal career and how you're going to contribute to society outside of this, this function and this role that you're fulfilling as a military spouse. So that has been uh, an interesting uh, traverse of pivots and options and industries over the past 21 years. It really started um, working for the government. So I did work for the Army um, in child and family programming. So I have two degrees in human ecology. I I like to serve. I like to be with people. So that's where it started. And then about move 10, that became a challenge. I had two little kids. We had done three moves in three years. And I fell into the hotbed of entrepreneurship out in Silicon Valley, and it was a really unique opportunity. I knew nothing. It was not a space I had background or education in, but I, I just said yes to something, which I think a lot of yeah. people find you you kind of fall into where you're meant to be when you say yes to something that maybe you don't know what you're doing. And that just started kind of this last 12 to 14 years of entrepreneurship and building solutions and continuing to serve the community. Well, let me ask you one quick follow-up question based on what you shared. What is human ecology? What does that mean? Yeah, I know. Two degrees in it, right? What what the heck is happening there? <laughs> um, it's really about human development and human communication and human okay. connection. So really specialized in that zero to five, like scientific development of the brain and just how humans evolve over time. And then just continue to be really fascinated by it. So that that communication, that way that we connect, the way that we mold people and mentor people and guide people. So it's interesting. I've ended up as a chief people and community officer, kind of, I think, natural to where I, I saw myself <laughs> starting, but maybe not in the same way. Well, I imagine that's very useful. I've actually had a number of conversations recently where people have likened a colleague's behavior to the way a toddler would respond to something when they're tired or hungry. And so understanding the way the brain works from zero to five, I have a feeling that applies and comes in useful way beyond kindergarten. Um, Now, you talked about the fact that 
you sort of fell into entrepreneurship. And I know in the past you've had certification as a woman-owned business. You're currently certified as a military spouse-owned business. Because supplier diversity and therefore certification is so important within procurement and supply chain, I always like to ask about the process and sort of decision-making around going through getting those certifications. Yeah, I think that's a big milestone um, as you grow as an organization, right? To get to the point where you see yourself with a service that can plug into these larger enterprise or medium level businesses. And so it's a really exciting opportunity like, hey, let's go get this certification. Um, and, you know, they do a lot of due diligence. When we went through it, it wasn't something we were unfamiliar with. We've done uh, rounds of fundraising with you know, angel investors or venture capital. So we were familiar with that show us everything and prove your financials. So that process we were familiar with, it, it is exhaustive, right? They're doing it yeah. for a reason. Um, the doors that that opens are, are, are expansive. So they want to be sure that they're giving the right um, certifications to the right people. But we, we also then traversed as we've grown and scaled into this interesting area where now we have, we are no longer able to be certified as a women-owned business, even though we are female founders, 91% of our 500 employees are women. We, we still control the board as women, but because mm -hmm. we took a series A and we went the venture capital route, our cap table is not predominantly led by women, which whole different podcast episode on, on, <laughs> on, you know, ceilings and uh, the need to be broken and problems there. But so it's been an interesting thing for us just to learn about the opportunity that we have when we had the certification and now how do we continue to deliver the same solutions, even though we don't check a box necessarily for some customers anymore. Well, and I think that's an interesting thing to call out because this is a, a conversation or a point that I've discussed with lots of different types of certified diverse businesses that on the one hand, yes, you know, large enterprises like to work with businesses that have those certifications. But on the other hand, you don't want to be rooting against them because if you do continue to grow, even if we use the simplest example of, say, going public, okay, well, you can't possibly be woman-owned, veteran-owned, minority-owned if you get that opportunity to IPO. And so it does end up creating an interesting dynamic where you as business leaders and then the partners that buy from you sort of charting this journey um, and, and seeing you have the opportunity to grow, even if it does change your status. Um, now, as far as the certification goes, veteran-owned businesses are sort of the more well-known category of certification included in most diversity programs. But you're a little bit unique. You're certified military spouse-owned. What do you think the importance is of having both the distinction, but also the additional separate certification? So it's definitely a new area being carved out, right? As companies and opportunities continue to grow, there are a lot of incredible organizations out there who are military spouse owned, led, founded. You know, the, the minority and the veteran, those are like federally recognized. They're a part of that, you know, pretty um, expansive certification. And uh, leave it up to military spouses to fill a gap. The military <laughs> spouse chamber of commerce that offers that military spouse certification built that, right? They saw a need in the community. They saw this opportunity to, again, give an extra box for boxes that could be checked to say, yeah. hey, this might not be something that you're aware of, but there are incredible opportunities, whether it's, um, you know, retail, products, e-commerce, talent. I mean, any component of, you know, a procurement area 
a military spouse owned business can fit in there. And so it's exciting to see it growing. It's really only been around for two to three years and it's becoming something that more organizations are like, well, that's interesting. Like, how do we get on in that? How, how can we work with an organization? So it's, it's an exciting new certification yeah. to be a part of. It strikes me as that, that old expression, what is, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. So it's like, okay, in between all of your moves, if you wouldn't just mind figuring out a way to start a business and, oh, let's come up yeah. with a certification that goes along with it. Um, but you mentioned the box check, and this is another thing that comes up in conversations a lot. In some ways, it doesn't have to be sort of a negative idea, right? You have companies trying to figure out at scale, who are we going to work with? But what I hear a lot is about no category of business becoming just a box check. And when we think about mission-driven businesses or the intent behind spending decisions, what is it that you observe about your best partners that are able to take this idea past the box check and actually get maximum value out of working with you and your team? Yeah, you know, the box check is, it's a structure, it's a function. Right. And I like to compare it to people ask me all the time, like, you know, about remote communication and remote leadership and, and what that looks like. And I always tell people, you have to have somebody who enjoys doing that. You can't force somebody to enjoy remote communication and remote leadership. Yeah. And, and I find that that is very similar in, you know, the diversity and supplier arena is if you've got somebody who is just there to check boxes and, and push papers you are going to miss out on that true quality of impact. Yeah. And, and those are the customers that we see the most success with. And, you know, I get excited by it because it's truly impact driven and you, you see the lives being changed, especially in our business model, we are providing people, right. And when you have people involved in a business relationship that has transactional, you know, yeah. uh, value because we're providing a service, but it's that deeper layer of partnership. And I think when you go into engaging with a diversity supplier, with true impact, like the first question should be, okay, I see your service, I see your solution, but how do we create impact? Those conversations, when they start out that way, truly become the value for both sides of the conversation and anybody involved there in the middle. And it is something that I hear a lot, and I imagine you can relate to where businesses that pursue the certification, because it is a commitment, they're going very extensively through your records to make sure everything as is it should be. So it's a, it's a decision to pursue that, but it's more of, okay, maybe this will get me in the door or get you to notice me, but that's not why I want you to work with me. I want you to work with me because I am the best in the world at what I do. So it's not as much about who I am as it is what I can deliver. Um, do you find that you really focus in on that additionally, as you said, being such a people-oriented business that you're not you know, making cardboard boxes or, you know, doing something that's a little bit more product oriented. The fact that you have such a human offering, is that more part of your value proposition? Like, okay, yeah, this is who we are, but let's explore fully together what it is we're capable of doing for you. A hundred percent. I mean, that is a part of every single conversation. It's why going through the hard days, I still am excited to wake up in the morning because like that opportunity and that potential yeah. to see customers like awakened to this, you know, military spouse talent community that maybe they've never engaged with. Or we sometimes find that organizations have a lot of stereotypes about military spouses, which are some of my now most favorite conversations because we can just, <laughs> just dispel them all in like under 60 seconds. So yeah, that opportunity to bring the light and bring the opportunity, but at the end of the day, having valid business impact for our customers yeah. 
is just a really neat way to encapsulate what I think what diversity supplying is, is really about at the end of the day. You know, getting a certification, even becoming a vendor th through the procurement process can be very tedious for organizations. Absolutely. So if you have the certification, then you might be a small business who's never worked through that vendor supplier process internally at a very large organization. And that takes a lot of gusto and a lot of commitment to, to again, check boxes just to get in the door. So yeah. that motivation and that that belief that there is impact and opportunity uh, on the other side of that is, is definitely what pushes you through. Now, we've talked about the fact that you're in a very people-oriented business, but this also impacts your individual role. So as a chief people and community officer, how would you say being in that role changes or affects the way that you work directly with your team internally? I love what I get to do. I feel very grateful that I am in this position, especially as a founder in an organization. Like You take on different roles over time. Uh, you have to stay with the growth of the organization. And so being somewhere where I feel very naturally that I do contribute to the organization and having it my day to day and the way that I get to connect and open opportunities for our customers is, is really incredible. Um, being able to be a part of the internal communications, being a part of the external communications, you know, we don't only provide talent solutions as instant teams to our customers, but we also are building a very large military spouse community. There's over 12 million military spouses out there. And so that's the community aspect. And so I just get to be in that day to day of bringing together the parties, communicating the value and the opportunity to all sides as a marketplace. We've got a lot of conversations going in the day to day. And just being able to ground that in my position um, is, is really a really unique opportunity. And as someone that's a, a people person and so focused on communication, I imagine the way that you've approached things and the way even your team has functioned has changed over the last few years, given the shift either to remote work or to flex time. I know companies are sort of in the middle of this ongoing decision around you know, do we mandate? Do we let it go unless it's a problem? How often do we need people in? How have you found that some of the shifts around and to or maybe away from remote work have affected the way that either your team operates or you support the clients that you partner with? Yeah, it's always fascinating to look back like historically, we've been in business seven years and the things that we do today that are the exact same as day one because they were core and foundational. Um, and then the things that we've had to pivot or learn over time because of, you know, world impact or things happening in business industry that have required us to pivot. But the bottom line, I mean, especially because we started out as a remote organization. So 2016, day one, we were like, this is going to be 100% remote. We will provide 100% remote positions. And that was about four years before the rest of the world was like, oh, remote work is a thing. And now we have <laughs> to um, uh, modify our business practices and figure out how this works. So it was interesting because we had a little bit of jump on the space, but mindful communication was the very first document we ever wrote at Instant Teams. And that was because we knew in order to grow this organization, communicating in a written form is very, very different than even yes. Zoom or in person. And so how do we build that expectation at ground level? And I've seen leaders come in who are highly capable, efficient leaders with very different written communication styles. And so how do you allow people to be their own person, but also bring in that culture affected the organization of this is how we communicate frustration and needs in a written form to be sure that at the end of the day, everything's productive. So that's kind of been the, the status quo is, again, mindful communication. How are you actually working the day to day as a remote organization? Um, but yeah, especially when COVID hit, even though we were already doing remote work, we are 91 percent 
again, still at 500 employees, mm -hmm. um, women, um, people who identify as female within our organization. And that often brings children in the home still yep. as military spouses. That brings, okay, now my active duty spouse's schedule has changed. And so there was still this you know, can we job share? Is there an opportunity for people to share a full-time or a part-time position to keep that employment moving, but allowing that extra flexibility within the home? Um, but just staying true to that remote concept has has really served us well and, and our customers well over the past seven years. So much of what everybody's gone through over the last few years, I, I personally think we're not really going to be able to understand it until we get a little bit further away. But one of the things that I do already think is that there will have been uh, an opportunity afforded to small, remotely operated, virtual, entrepreneurial businesses. I know my team is in a very similar situation. We're a small team. We're global. We've never had an office. And so the whole world went home to work and really had to adjust to that. And beyond being like, oh, gosh, there's people in my space now while I'm trying to do this, beyond that, we were able to roll through it a lot more because we had already been doing it that way and it was built with that in mind. So you just never know how these situations are going to tip the scales towards a large enterprise with a lot of structure, or maybe in this case, I think tip the scales towards, you know, remote, flexible, agile, creative problem solving businesses that had to have scrap in their DNA simply to exist, you say, okay, you're going to pile some kids in a pandemic on top of it. Sure. Why not? I wasn't doing anything on Wednesday afternoon. Let's, let's do it. We just got to keep moving forward. Uh, but I do suspect even now that that's going to be one of the things we look back and see that, that there was a, a transition that didn't need to be made there for organizations like yours and mine. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think you see the companies that are still struggling. I mean, how I feel like we should be past that, right? Yeah. But it's companies that are still struggling or these legacy organizations that just have so much structure and, um, you know, ethos of a different approach yeah. around what they're doing. And unless those organizations are willing to kind of like start to break pieces, which I think is really hard when you're an organization that's been around for a really long time. And again, having somebody committed and excited about breaking those pieces and being able to provide the solutions to rebuild in a more hybrid or flexible yeah. way, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see um, how some of those companies continue to evolve or, or not and how that impacts them. Absolutely. Now, Erica, as we start to sort of wrap up that part of our conversation, um, I want to bring you into a tradition that we have here at The Sourcing Hero. I've had a couple of guests over time that have been back more than once, but everybody goes through this on their very first time. So I'm going to give you two questions. It is up to you which one you want to answer, and there is no such thing as a wrong answer. This is like an audio Rorschach test. If you see a giraffe, you say giraffe. If it looks like a balloon, it's a balloon. Uh, so your two questions are, what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? Or if you want to look at this a little bit more broadly, what do you think heroism can look like in a business context? Man, the introvert in me is uh, shuddering right now the on, <laughs> on the spot. Uh, we got this. All that life coaching, right? And this is the moment I've been preparing. Exactly. <laughs> um, I really like the how you have framed heroism in a business context. I think that's a really unique question and something um, I am a military spouse. So heroism is something that is very much a part of our life. And we hear that a lot and we see that a lot and we see the good, the bad and the ugly around what heroism can actually mean in a, in a very serious way. 
Um, but in the business context, I think that can be really exciting because to me, heroes break rules and they make boundaries and they figure out different ways to do things to impact their communities and people around them. Like if you strip out superheroes, like that really at the end of the day is what's happening. And so in my, you know, tenure as an entrepreneur and seeing organizations, you know, even in my peer network, it's always staying ahead of, well, the what if, right? It's not being so stuck and confined in how things have been done. It's what if, what if we could do it this way? What if we had no boundaries? And and that's, I love that comparison because really at the end of the day, that that is what heroes do. I, I think that's a great answer. And in fact, it reminds me of a little plaque I have hanging in my kitchen as a reminder to my kids that says, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? Yeah, um, and we know in business, that's not the way it works. I mean, a huge percentage of small businesses fail. That's the risk that you take, but it's it's that willingness to try and the people that you bring with you on the journey. Um, I, I love having that perspective. And I certainly appreciate the fact that you're not just coming to this as an entrepreneur or a mom, although both of those things are double jobs on their own, but also as a military spouse, giving all of the things that comes with that. I think it's interesting to hear about your journey here, how you're bringing all that experience into your work now. Um, and of course, your perspective on heroism. Uh, now, if people are meeting you for the very first time here today and they want to reach out, maybe they're a military spouse, or maybe they're interested in learning more about Instant Teams, your style of entrepreneurship, what is the best way for them to get in touch? I am really active on LinkedIn. I love the network opportunity. I love the peers. I love everything happening on LinkedIn. So definitely find me on LinkedIn, Erica McManus. Um, and I'm also happy to, you know, take a Calendly link and connect with people. So whether you're military spouse, just interested in getting hired and employment opportunities or about my entrepreneurial experience or a customer looking to have, you know, really unique, remarkable talent solutions. Um, definitely connect on LinkedIn or Erica at instantteams.com. That's great. Erica, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.